0: Thank you, Jason, for sharing that. That song goes with our story we're going to look at today from God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to John chapter 12, that's the passage we're going to look at today. Also, um, inside your bulletin, there's an insert that uh, has uh, John chapter 12, 1 through 8, the passage we're going to look at today in there, and also has a place for you to take notes if you'd like to do that. So that's an insert in your bulletin. But John 12, 1 through 8 is going to be our passage that we're going to look at this morning. Before we look at God's Word, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would send your Holy Spirit to teach us. Lord, I, I really, of myself, have nothing to say. But, Lord, I think you have a lot to say. So I pray, that Lord, that you would use me to communicate your Word today. Lord, just thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ever had something coming up in the future that you really were dreading, just every time you thought about it, just brought anxiety to you and stuff, um, I think all of us experienced that one time or the other. I can remember when I was younger, actually I was in eighth grade I got involved in a little accident playing ball and I had to have a, a ball hit me I took a one hopper to the face and it knocked three of my teeth straight back well I had braces on fortunately because if I wouldn't have braces on I lost those teeth but uh, the bad thing was my braces were all over the place so the next day I had to have oral surgery and they took my braces off and they corrected my teeth And they put these new surgical braces on. And I had to wear them for about 12, 14 months, something like that. And then when those were off, I had to start all over with my braces again. So I was in braces for about four years. When I got my braces off, it was the summer before my senior year in high school. And I told my mom, I don't know how my mom went with this, but I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm done with dentists. I'm done with them. I had cavities when I was small, and I didn't like that, but now, all this stuff I've gone through, I'm not going to the dentist again. I am going to brush my teeth faithfully, so there's no need to go. My mom didn't make me go. So for eight years, I did not visit the dentist. And you say, well, what changed after eight years? Well I got married. and. And Candace, you know, she said, "Hey, I'm going to make us a, a dental appointment together. We can go to a new dentist." And I said, well, "Well, Candace, you probably don't know this, but I don't go to the dentist anymore." And she said, well, what do you do now?" <laughs> and so, so she made me a dental appointment and uh, Dr. Elkins, who we still go to today on Hickson Pike. And I remember I was in there if that dental uh, appointment it hadn't been in 8 years and I can you know, it don't take you long, you know, you just get your teeth cleaned. To know there's going to be issues, though, when he's saying some things, and he's like, I think we might need to take another x-ray of this tooth. And he starts talking about some other stuff. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Well, one thing led to another. I found out I needed two root canals. And uh, so I didn't even know what a root canal was. But a root canal sounds really, really bad, Right. I mean, if I'm a dentist, matter of fact, if you're a visiting dentist today, I'm sorry, okay? I just want to say this, because I really don't think it's as poorly of you now as I used to. But, uh, but I do think there's a better name you can come up with than root canal. I mean, that sounds terrible, right? And it's not a walk in the park, but it's not as bad maybe as it sounds. But anyway, so I found I had to have two root canals. I didn't know what a root canal was, but in my mind, that meant pain. <laughs> that meant uncomfortable. So all I could think about was these root canals I was going to have. Not even knowing what it was, but knowing it was coming up on my schedule. I had one plan one day, and then a second one later. And I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm dreading it. And I'll never forget, I'm in a youth pastor's uh, get-together. And I'm talking to the guys, and it's time for prayer. They said, anybody got a prayer request? I'm like, hey, I got a prayer request. Uh, Later this week, I'm having a root canal. Man, I am dreading it. That's all I could think about. I'm dreading it. And the guy said, all right, yeah, we'll pray for you. So they did. They prayed for me. And uh, so fast forward to the day I'm having the root canal. And I'll never forget this. I'm in the chair. Dr. Elkin's is already working on me. The receptionist walks in the room. And she said, uh, Mickey, I just wanted you to know that Hans called. Hans was another youth pastor in the area. Uh, he lives, in, I think, in Florida now. Hans called to let you know he's praying for you right now. And I'll never forget Dr. Elkins, he had a drill in his hand. He said, well, tell Hans, you don't need to be praying for him, you need to be praying for me. I'm the one with the drill in my hand. Uh, I'll never forget that. There's a point to this story, okay? The point was, when you got something coming up, especially something bad, it occupies your mind. That's all you can think about. That's all you can focus on. Some of you know, some of you have gone through things ten times worse than a root canal. And you know, it's hard to get that off your mind. Today's story, Jesus is six days away from the cross. The Bible says it's six days to the Passover. And Jesus knows before the Passover happens, He's going to die. And not only is He going to die, He's going to be beaten, He's going to be humiliated, He's going to suffer greatly. And I'm thinking as I'm reading this passage, how could Jesus not be, how could he think about anything else except for what he knew was getting ready to happen to him? I think he couldn't. I think that had to occupy his mind. It had to be right there at all times, thinking about the cross. It was soon going to be the Passover. What was the Passover? The Passover was a time that the Jews celebrated for God leading them out of Egypt. If you remember the story, uh, the Passover angel came, and all the Jews put blood on their doorpost, and where the blood was, the angel passed over those homes. But any home without the blood, the firstborn son died. The firstborn son of Pharaoh, the firstborn son of slaves, even the first of livestock, first son of livestock died. Because the death angel passed over. So they celebrated that every year. And what they would do is all the Jewish men would come and they would bring a sacrifice to offer. And it was supposed to be a spotless lamb to offer in place of their sins. And Jesus now is getting ready to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. But first he stops by a town called Bethany. And Bethany is probably maybe two, three miles away from Jerusalem. And Bethany is where a man named Lazarus lives. Now, we're in chapter 12, we're getting ready to read it, but in chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. If you remember that story, Jesus, really good friends of Lazarus and his sister, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus. Jesus, please come. Our brother, Lazarus, is about to die. He's very, very sick. And the Bible says something interesting. The Bible says that Jesus waited He did not go immediately. Matter of fact, he waited a few more days. Now, you may be thinking, man, what kind of good friend is he? You know, they need him, and he waits a couple more days. But he did that on purpose. The Bible says that when Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead four days. Now, see, the Jews believed that when a man died, his spirit was still with him for three days. But after that third day, he was really dead. There was no hope. He was dead, dead at that point. Jesus shows up on that fourth day. And Jesus shows that he's the master of death. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of that grave. And he was alive. Of course, everybody celebrated, right? Not everybody. The chief priests and the Pharisees got wind of this. That was the final straw for those guys. They said, we have got to arrest and put Jesus to death. And so from that point on, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he could no longer walk publicly around Jerusalem because he knew that they were out to get him. So he went away. He went kind of out in the wilderness and taught and did many miracles. But now he's coming back. He's coming back because he knows it's now time for him to die. Look what it says in John 12, verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, probably Saturday, Saturday evening, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So here's what we see. We see they're going to throw a celebration for Jesus. This celebration is thrown by Mary and Martha, Lazarus' brothers. And they want to do something just to honor him, to recognize him. We're not told in John's gospel where this took place. But Matthew and Mark also talk about this story. And Matthew and Mark tell us that it was in Simon the leper's house. Now, we don't know much about Simon the leper, but we know he probably had leprosy at one time because he got the name Simon the leper, right? Jesus more than likely healed him. He may have been related to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We don't know that for sure. But apparently he was very close to them and he opened his home so they could have his dinner to honor Jesus. What we also see here is that Martha, in verse 2, is doing what Martha always did. Martha was a servant. She loved to serve. She's serving here. She's fixing food. She wants everything to be perfect for Jesus, right? I mean, when we have guests at our house, do we not want it to be nice? Do we not want everything to just go smoothly? Imagine having Jesus as a dinner guest. I mean, you'd want it to be perfect, right? I mean, I wonder, we're not told this, but I wonder, what do you fix when Jesus is coming to your house? You're going to honor Him. I mean, you want to fix the perfect meal, right? I don't know what that is, but you want everything to be perfect. To honor Jesus. And that's what Martha was busy doing. We're also told that Lazarus was one of those reclining and eating at the table. Now, again, picture this. You know, they ate kind of lying down, reclining on one side. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I mean, I cannot get in the floor and get comfortable anyway. I mean, my kids always, we would play games. and I'm like, I can't get in the floor. I mean, it's so uncomfortable. They, that's what they ate. They ate laying down on one side. And the Bible says that Lazarus was one of those there eating with them, And here are his other disciples and Jesus. Can you imagine what the conversation was like around that table? First of all, you got God's son Jesus there. No telling what they were asking him. But you got Lazarus there. Don't you think the disciples want to say, Lazarus, what was it like? You were dead for four days. I mean, was it, was it dark? Was it scary? Was it, was it bright lights? Did you see God? You know, it's interesting that we don't have one word of Lazarus about his experience when he was dead. Not one word recorded in the Bible. I wonder why that is. The only thing I can figure is God said it's not important or it would be recorded in His Word. But not one thing But they're having this dinner and all of a sudden this strong smell comes into the house, into the room. Verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary took this expensive ointment Made from pure nard. I had to look that up. I, I didn't know. I'm not much on my perfume, so I didn't know much about it. But this apparently is an ointment that comes from a plant that's mainly grown in India. And it comes from the root, the lower part of the stem. And it is high, high dollar stuff. You're not going to go down here to the side Walmart and buy it, okay? This is high dollar expensive stuff. The Bible says it was about a pound. Now, that was a Roman measurement. But even in our measurements, it'd be about 11 and a half ounces. Okay, that's a lot. That's a whole lot of ointment to put on somebody. Now Matthew and Mark's Gospel says that Mary anointed Jesus' head. John's Gospel says feet. So do we have like a contradiction? I don't think so at all. I think Mary did anoint Jesus' head because it was custom to anoint a king's head when he was in your presence. But she had so much of this stuff that eventually she anointed his feet also. Because I could see it just dripping down to his feet. And the Bible says that she took her hair because there was so much and wiped his feet with her hair. Judas later, and we're going to read it in just a moment, but Judas later tells us that the value of this ointment to anoint Jesus' head and feet was 300 denarii, which is basically 300 days' wages. Alright? That's a lot. That's a, basically like a year's wages is what this ointment was worth. Uh, if you put that in today's dollars, according to the commentaries, they vary. But somewhere in today's dollars, between fifteen and $30,000 is what this ointment would cost today. What could she have bought? In her time with that kind of money, if she sold that woman, well, she could have bought all kinds of things, right? She could have had basically anything she wanted. But her brother was alive. And there was no value to Jesus in her eyes. He was worth everything because he had raised her brother from the dead. So he was worth giving it all. Here's the picture I want us to see. Mary... Gives the best thing that she had to Jesus. The best thing. The most expensive thing. The most treasured thing. She sacrifices to worship and honor Jesus. You know, I, I was just thinking. i like to just ask a question. I'd like for us to think about something. You know, last week we talked about the year review, and And Pastor Tom went through our numbers of giving and stuff. And, and I, I'm, I'm just blown away the generosity of this church. Especially towards missions. I think we had a little less than $220,000 given to missions last year. And not—and you don't even include the about $70,000 that people in this church give to mission agencies like Global Faith uh, to support missionaries. I mean, that's just short of $300,000 given from people in this church to missions. I mean, that is outstanding. And I praise God for that. But I would still like to ask this question. Would you be willing to give the best thing, the best thing you have to Jesus? The most valuable thing you have in in your entire life. Would you be willing to give that for Jesus? Because I'm afraid too often what we give to Jesus is our leftovers. Not our best, but our leftovers. But here is Mary. She wasn't giving any leftovers. She was given everything. Her full devotion was to Jesus. She was given to Him and holding nothing back. We see the humility of Mary as she worships Jesus here. Respectable women in that culture did not take their hair down in public. It was kept up, bounded up. But here she takes her hair, her clean hair down to Jesus. Listen, Jesus was a man. So His feet were dirty, okay? Okay? We think, oh, he's God. Yeah, he had dirty feet when he walked around. Probably smelly feet. She anoints his feet and uses her clean hair to wipe them. That's a sign of her love and devotion, true worship to Jesus. Mary saw this as worship. But Judas, he saw this as a waste. He saw this as a total waste. Look what it says in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 in their eye and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put inside it. It's interesting that John doesn't mention this, but Matthew and Mark also mention that some of the other disciples were ticked off too. They were also mad. But they didn't say anything. They just thought things. But Judas, he's ticked off. And he says it. He's like, what are we doing here? This is a waste of resource. This could have been sold and used for a whole lot better purpose than This. John refers to Judas in this passage as the one who would betray him. John also tells us that Judas was the keeper of the money bag for disciples. And that he used to help himself to what was in it because he was a thief. Now understand this. John is writing his gospel about 50 years later. Okay? Okay? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing and recording and thinking back about what happened. At that time, John had no clue what was going on. Matter of fact, none of the disciples had any clue what was going on with Judas. The other disciples actually trusted Judas. They made him treasure of their group. He carried around their money bag. You don't pick somebody to carry your money unless you trust them, right? Apparently, Judas... Must have been good with money. Maybe good with finances. So they're like, hey, why don't you be our treasurer? And you keep the money, and then we're going to give money to the poor, then you can take the money out, you can give it to them or whatever. Nobody expected that he was a thief. You know, I thought about Judas. I don't know exactly how he got to be the treasurer of the group, but more than likely, he must have been good with that kind of stuff. And I thought about the fact that Isn't it true that temptation often comes in areas that we're naturally gifted? Temptation often comes in areas we're naturally gifted. Anything that we naturally do well, guess what? Satan wants to take that and he wants to twist it. He wants to take you using your gifts for God and he wants to turn that so you use your gifts for your own glory. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to be focused. Instead of God being the focus. Because he knows this. He knows that pride always leads to destruction. The pride and love of money led to Judas' destruction. And the crazy thing is, none of the disciples picked up on any of it. They didn't. You know how we know this? Because you can flip forward one more chapter of John 13, and there's a story you know. They're all sitting around a table it's called the Last Supper. Jesus is talking, and he's talking to them. And then he says, Jesus says, truly, truly. Listen, when Jesus says something and repeats it twice, he's saying, guys, listen closely to what I'm getting ready to say. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Did, did the whole group go, Jude? I, I, I knew there was something about that dude I couldn't trust. It's him. Is that what they did? No. You know what the Bible says? They all looked at one another unsp- uncertain of what he was talking about. They had no clue what Jesus was talking about. In a classic, classic Peter moment, Peter always had to know more. Peter motions to John like, ask Jesus. John was sitting next to Jesus Ask him who it is. Find out. We've got to know. Who is it? So John leans over and whispers, Jesus, Jesus, who is it? Jesus answers, it is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Jesus said, it's he whom I give this morsel of bread when I dipped it. So he dips the morsel of bread and he hands it to Judas. Oh, now the disciples know, right? Still didn't know. They still didn't get it. Then Jesus said to Judas, What you're going to do, do quickly. Scripture says, No one at the table knew why he said this. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for uh, for the feast coming up, or that he should go give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately. Went out and it was night. It was night not because it was dark, it was night because Satan was at work. No one suspected Judas. He looked moral, he looked righteous. He spent all that time with Jesus right there, like the rest of them. He looked great on the outside. But he had no love for God on the inside. He talks about giving to the poor back in chapter 12. Judas didn't care about the poor. I mean, give to the poor. Man, that sounds great. Man, that sounds righteous. Yeah, we ought to help the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He wanted that soul so he could go in the money bag so he could dip in. Take some. That was his motivation. Look at verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus says, Judas, leave her alone. What she's doing is the right thing. She is preparing my body for burial. She is doing what's right. And Jesus says something extraordinary here in verse 8. He says, the poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. You know, if Jesus wasn't God, if he wasn't the long-awaited Messiah, if he wasn't the glorious king, that would be a very arrogant thing for him to say. But the point is, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the defined Messiah. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he was in their midst. And listen. And if Mary was ever going to worship and celebrate him. Now is the time to do it. Because his days were few. I thought about, you know, for us. There's some things we can do almost at any time. Some things we can just do at any time. But there's others, there's a short window for us to do it. And unless we take advantage of the opportunity we have, we may never have that opportunity again. Mary took advantage of her opportunity. She had an opportunity to worship and celebrate Jesus and honor him. And that's exactly what she did. You know, thinking about the life of Judas, though. Could it be possible today to be a professing believer? to be a member of a church, to even hold a position in a church and not have a heart for Jesus. I mean, Judas fooled everybody he was with. Could that happen to us? Judas' love was for money. That was his God. What amazing contrast we see in this passage between Mary and Judas. Both spent time with Jesus. Jesus. But their hearts were so different towards Jesus. One was given over to full devotion to Jesus. The other was given over to gratification of themselves. Selflessness, selfishness. Mary and Joseph. I'm sorry, not Mary and Joseph. Mary and Judas were both worshipers. They were. But they worshiped different things. And I thought about the fact that, you know, today, and I'm getting ready to finish. Today, we're all worshipers. We are. But it doesn't mean we're all worshiping the same thing. You know, today some people want to worship the earth and and do things like that. Some people want to worship their favorite football team or basketball or baseball team. Some people want to worship a celebrity, a singer, something like that. Some people want to worship money. Some people want to worship family. There's a lot of things that are out there that people can worship today. But the truth is, none of those are worthy of our worship. The only one that's worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. And He did go that right before Passover. He suffered... And He died on a cross for a purpose. That was so His blood could cover our sins. And that is somebody that's worth worshiping. That is somebody that's worth us celebrating. Somebody that died in my place. So I'd ask you today, as I close, do you worship Jesus? Not do you come to church. Not do you do a lot of moral things. Do you truly in your heart Worship Jesus.